Good afternoon. Thank you for joining Atlassian's earnings conference call for the fourth quarter of fiscal 2020. As a reminder, this conference call is being recorded and will be available for replay from the Investor Relations section of Atlassian's website following this call. I will now hand the call over to Matt Sonnenfeld, Atlassian's Head of Investor Relations. Thank you. Good afternoon and welcome to Atlassian's fourth quarter of fiscal 2020 earnings call. Thank you for joining us today. On the call today, we have Atlassian's co-founders and co-CEOs, Scott Farquhar and Mike Cannon-Brooks, and our Chief Financial Officer, James Beer. Earlier today, we issued a press release and a shareholder letter with our financial results and commentary for our fourth quarter of fiscal 2020. These items were also posted on the Investor Relations section of Atlassian's website. On our IR site, we also have posted a supplemental presentation and data sheet. During the call, we'll make brief opening remarks and then spend the remainder of time on Q&A. Statements made on this call include forward-looking statements. Forward-looking statements involve known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and other factors that may cause our actual results, performance, or achievements to be materially different from any future results, performance, or achievements expressed or implied by the forward-looking statements. You should not rely upon forward-looking statements as predictions of future events. Forward-looking statements represent our management's beliefs and assumptions only as of the date such statements are made, and we disclaim any obligation to update or revise them should they change or cease to be up-to-date. Further information on these and other factors that could affect the company's financial results are included in filings we make with the Securities and Exchange Commission from time to time, including a section titled Risk Factors in our most recent Form 20F and Quarterly 6K. In addition, during today's call, we will discuss non-IFRS financial measures. These non-IFRS financial measures are in addition to and not a substitute for or superior to measures of financial performance prepared in accordance with IFRS. There are a number of limitations related to the use of these non-IFRS financial measures versus their nearest IFRS equivalents, and they may be different from non-IFRS and non-GAAP measures used by other companies. A reconciliation between IFRS and non-IFRS financial measures is available in our earnings release and our shareholder letter and in our updated investor data sheet on the IR website. During Q&A, please ask your full question up front so that we can easily move through to the next speaker. Also, please be patient if we encounter any disruption or challenging logistics given we're individually dialing in from around the world. With that, I'll turn the call over to Scott for opening remarks. Thank you everyone for joining today and for your continued support. We want to start by saying we hope you and your loved ones are healthy. This is a dynamic moment in time for everyone, including our customers and our employees. As you've hopefully read in our shareholder letter, we had a strong business result in Q4 and the full year. We now serve over 174,000 customers, of which 150,000 use our cloud products. For enterprise customers, we are an increasingly important mission-critical utility for enterprises going through digital transformations. Continuing momentum helped drive $1.6 billion in revenue in 2020, as well as strong profitability and cash flow. As we turn our sights to fiscal 21, we have three priorities to help drive long-term success. First and foremost is to continue supporting our customers and help them stay resilient and successful. Second is to continue driving transformation into becoming a cloud-first company. Third is to make significant progress in our large end markets, agile development, ITSM, and non-technical work management. Halp and Mindville, the two acquisitions highlighted in our shareholder holder letter will help us across all three priorities. Because of the macro environment and our cloud focus, fiscal 21 will be a challenging year. We will play offense for the long term through the short-term headwinds. We will make choices other companies may shy away from, relying on our past experience to guide our path forward. In success, we continue our transformation into a $5 billion global software leader. We've provided more detail and many other updates in our shareholder letter issued earlier today. Before we move to question and answer, Mike and I want to both uh, thank our employees who remain a source of strength and inspiration for us during these challenging times. You make unleashing the potential of teams possible. With that, I'll pass the call back to the operator. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press the pound key. And your first question comes from Keith Weiss with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Excellent. Thank you guys for, for taking the question. Um, and I appreciate all the detail and, and some of the incremental detail that we're seeing in the uh, the shareholder letter. Um, I, I was, in the shareholder letter, you guys did a really good job framing out kind of the impacts that, that, that we're likely to see from 
a more aggressive push of the cloud and the investment that you guys are, are making behind the new solution. Can you talk to us a little bit about sort of the, the other side of, of, of the valley, if you will, of what we could expect in terms of kind of average pricing per customer as they move to the cloud? What's the time frames for realizing some of the uh, yields on these investments? And sort of as we look forward to FY22 and FY23, what are the expected benefits out of these, these investments you're making right here? Keith, uh, Scott first, I'll just talk about sort of the macro of this and then James can talk into the sort of specifics. Um, you know, as, as we said in our shareholder letter, moving our customers to the cloud is great for them and great for us. Um, in the cloud, we can innovate faster for them. We get, uh, you know, uh, we can make improvements and get feedback from customers a lot faster. And uh, for our customers, they benefit by not having to manage uh, all the infrastructure and server servers there and Effectively, their total cost of ownership reduces significantly. You know, we take on a larger uh, percentage of, uh, of this workload. And so um, it, it's great for all of us. And, uh, you know, James can speak to the specifics, I guess, about how things might change over time. Thanks, Scott. I, I, I would just add uh, that the long-term economics, in our view, of the cloud are attractive, as Scott indicated, both to our customers uh, but also to ourselves. Uh, and uh, we, we see that in our ability to uh, uh, price in a way uh, that reflects the value that we're creating for our customers. Uh, of course, our customers enjoy the simplification that comes along with not have to, having to operate their own software and servers. Uh, and uh, what we intend to do over the, the medium term is help smooth the pathway for uh, uh, particularly our larger server customers as they uh, embark on their, their cloud migration journey. We talked in the shareholder letter about how today we still have around three quarters of our paid users uh, behind the firewall. Uh, and so uh, we're looking to, uh, in essence, provide discounts uh, to our cloud pricing uh, to these larger server customers as they make their migration. This gives those customers time to adjust their budgets, to be able to realize these benefits around cost and complexity that I mentioned. Uh, so we're comfortable that over time, uh, this will uh, be a, a good outcome, uh, not just for our customers, but very much for our, our shareholders and our long-term growth. Got it, that's super helpful. And maybe if I could sneak in one, one follow-up. Uh, I was hoping you can give us a little bit more color on some of the recent acquisitions, and in particular, how you think that changes um, your competitiveness, particularly in areas like ITSM. Thank you, guys. Sure, mate. I can take that. How are you doing, Keith? Um, look, uh, we announced the, the uh, Mindville acquisition today uh, in, uh, along with our, our shareholder letter. Um, so I hope you've all seen that, and again, help, uh, as Scott mentioned in the intro, marks during the quarter. Look, I think it, it goes to our, our, both of these go to our long-term philosophy, that there is a, uh, a line between IT and software development that's increasingly becoming blurred uh, as the teams building software, the teams operating, deploying, and managing that software are becoming uh, ever more shared or, or collaborating a lot more, uh, and you can see that in, in both uh, both acquisitions. Um, it, it, it takes us further towards being the only um, company, I suppose, that has a, a broad platform for all sorts of technical team workflows. Um, you can also look at, at Mindville specifically as just a part of a, a sort of steady, you know, long-term progress uh, of delivering more value for customers in the in the IT market. Um, you know, obviously with Jira Service Desk and Ops Genie. Uh, and now Mindville and and, uh, and help there. Uh, it is, as we've mentioned before, the fastest growing part of our business that is operating at large scale, and this will, will you know, we think only only continue that uh, that trend. Um, in terms of Mindville specifically, um, you know, uh, asset management or, or, or CMDB uh, was the most requested area by customers of of feature area, I suppose, in that offering uh, as people were taking it beyond a service desk into a broader uh, service management offering. And, uh, you know, it was a, a very prudent decision. We know the Mindville team well, and I think we'll work uh, extremely well together. Um, 
you can see that it, also in the shareholder letter, we cited the example of uh, Ballyasme, which is a, a great customer example uh, of, of large companies switching to uh, the Atlassian platform uh, for their broader, um, you know, uh, ITSM uh, needs. Excellent. That's super helpful. Thank you, guys. Your next question comes from Alec Kurtz with KeyBank Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Yeah, uh, thanks for the question, guys. So I think there's a lot of uh, investor discussion inter-quarter about whether you would raise prices this fiscal year, fiscal 21, given COVID, uh, and the impact you saw in the S&B space last quarter. So it looks like in the shareholder letter you will be, uh, you know, pricing will be used, uh, but maybe some additional color about the extent and timing versus prior years. Well, I can uh, jump in and take that one. Uh, I, I think uh, we should really start by focusing on how we are very mindful of the challenges that our customers are facing in this macroeconomic environment. And we've uh, reflected that view in a variety of our actions over the last few months. Uh, and pricing is another illustration of, of this point. Uh, so, yes, uh, there would be some benefit of price uh, in terms of our overall growth rate in fiscal 21 year over year, but I would really describe this as a modest impact, uh, certainly versus uh, uh, the experience of the last three or so years. Uh, so I think that's, that's very important to uh, get context around. Uh, and then I just further say that where we uh, do uh, move forward with pricing actions, it will be very much in support of our overall strategy that we've already been talking about today extensively around uh, accelerating the move to the cloud for uh, our customers, uh, given the benefits uh, to them and given the benefits to our long-term model as well. So uh, uh, only modest benefits from price in fiscal 21 and very much movements that will be consistent with our strategy. Thank you. Your next question comes from Heather Bellini with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Thank you. This is Caroline on for Heather. Uh, just jumping on the different strategies that you're going to be using to migrate customers to, to your cloud product. I was wondering, given that you list a number of them, I mean, price cloud discounts is one of them, but you talked about partners, R&D, new product migration tools. I was wondering if you can rank order those in, term, in terms of, like, which ones you think you would have the most impact. And then also on the discounts for enterprise server customers, I was wondering if you can give us a little bit more color on the terms of those discounts and also like, you know, weighing that versus the fact that last year you did a number, you did price raise prices on, on server customers. I'm trying to figure out how does that impact um, the, the migration versus the dis discounts you're planning to give. Thank you. Yeah, hi. I can take the first push of that, uh, Caroline. I'll, I'll leave the uh, the discounting section to James. Um, in terms of the strategies, look, by far the most important strategy is just building a kick-ass cloud offer. We've spent a lot of time and energy making sure our cloud uh, our products, uh, the additions, the offering we have, and all of the capabilities is the best Atlassian experience that customers will get. If we don't have that, all of the other strategies aren't, aren't going to be uh, uh, very, very helpful. Um, second most important strategy, uh, as we would say, is, is reducing the friction it takes for customers to move themselves over there in the long term and also giving them clear guidance about where we are investing and how uh, we see that, that transition happening over time. Uh, these are, these are, these are long-term moves, right, and customers make prudent investment decisions about how they're managing that. But at the same time, there's a lot of friction we can remove in the process. You've seen that in our migration assistance that we've shipped and continually upgraded to allow you to keep uh, your server and cloud instances running and live as you move your data over to allow you to do test runs of the data movements and all of these sorts of things, right? All of these reduce the difficulty and the frictions of customers moving their, uh, their data and their usage and their users across um, to those offerings, which, as I said, we, we continue to make sure are the best uh, best example of using Atlassian's products. Um, and then you have various other 
uh, as you mentioned, partner strategies, pricing strategies, and all sorts of other things. Um, I think that, you know, our long-term consistency on all of those uh, uh, areas is, is probably the most important thing next to building uh, uh, just a really uh, consistent offering. Um, you've also seen us, I would say, in terms of building that great offering, continue to ladder out the different additions to cater to our breadth of customers that exist on-premise. Uh, so obviously you saw uh, the introduction of free in the last uh, quarter, or quarter and a half, uh, and then uh, the launch of enterprise uh, at the end of last quarter in the cloud to handle the needs of those biggest customers. It's still in our early access program, but, but going very well so far. Um, that, you know, that, that addition map in the cloud is something we didn't have two, two and a half years ago, and we've really worked hard to continue to build out to map to all of the different customer segments that we have. I'll pass to James it's for just the uh, explanation of how cloud pricing discounts work. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, you know, I'd just say, uh, as you look at our list prices uh, for our different deployment options, uh, there's clearly uh, a significant delta between the server prices uh, and the cloud prices at different points along the user tier scale. Uh, similar, uh, but less so uh, in terms of the comparison of list price between data center uh, and cloud. Uh, and this uh, embodies the recent price changes that we've made over the last few years. Uh, and so while there is this list price delta, it's really important that we work with our uh, customers uh, to make sure that they are able to focus on uh, the total cost of ownership equation. Uh, which we believe is attractive for them, uh, particularly when you add to that the very significant investments that uh, Scott and Mike have been talking about us making in our cloud products over uh, a number of years now. Uh, so the concept behind the discounting uh, that we talk about today uh, is very much to give those uh, server customers a multi-year ladder to gradually get them uh, to uh, the cloud list pricing, uh, and that gives them the time to work internally within their organizations to sort through unlocking the uh, cost savings, the complexity savings uh, from not having to operate their own software, uh, but instead tap into our high-quality cloud services. Got it. Thank you so much. Your next question comes from Greg Moskowitz with Mizuho. Please go ahead. Okay, thank you very much. Good afternoon, guys. Uh, in the shareholder letter, you mentioned that you would be making several short-term trade-offs. Uh, in addition to the greater discounts for migrating server users to cloud, uh, as well as the more modest pricing changes that you've been talking about, are there other steps that you also plan to take over the near to medium term that would amount to uh, some sort of economic trade-off, or does that essentially capture it? Well, I can uh, jump and take that one, Greg. Uh, the other things I would just uh, refer to really are the fact that as we continue to emphasize the cloud, invest in the cloud, help our customers migrate over to the cloud, of course, there'll be uh, a reduction in the volume of our server revenues. Uh, we talked in the letter about the license line. Uh, which is now a relatively small part of our overall revenue base, only $20 million uh, in Q4, for example. That license line during fiscal 21, uh, reducing by about half. Uh, and then the maintenance line, uh, so the, the annual maintenance for server customers, uh, staying about flat. Uh, and so this is very much uh, what we've been talking about for uh, a while now as we emphasize the cloud, emphasize moving to the cloud from uh, the behind the firewall products, particularly uh, the server products. So this is very much the continuation of that, of that clear theme. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, the maintenance line has been heavily benefiting in recent years from price increases. Uh, so that's worth remembering as well. Uh, and I'd expect that, that theme uh, around the license line and the maintenance revenue line uh, to build gradually, uh, so more of an effect in the second half of the year versus the first half of the year. Uh, and then the other thing just to uh, uh, remind everyone of, and I'd say this is a smaller element of the overall equation, uh, but uh, we have been uh, able to help uh, a number of our customers 
who have uh, been under particular pressure economically in this COVID-driven environment. Uh, and we'll continue to support customers in fiscal 21. Uh, so that's also uh, a part of how we're uh, taking decisions that uh, help our customers for the long term, yeah, impact us in the short term, but we think that's absolutely the right thing to do. Oh, thanks, Dan. Uh, I just want to follow one from James. Just want to follow one from James. There, you know, I just think without getting into all the specifics of all the different things we're doing, the way we think about it is just we want to be good stewards of capital for the long term and the time horizon we're comfortable making those investment decisions on doesn't fit necessarily within a, a neat quarter or a neat fiscal year. And you know, so um, we we know through the 0809 downturn when we invested throughout that, it really set us up for another decade of growth and whether it was starter licenses for ten dollars or um, you know we, we celebrate ten years at Atlassian and over the last uh, year and a bit we've had a lot of ten year Atlassians that uh, we, we hired during that 0809 who've been amazing people that you know weren't on the market beforehand and haven't been on the market for the last ten years. And so we'll continue to hire and um, we'll continue to do things like free that set up our funnel really well. We'll continue to um, you know be good partners with our customers. Um, and generous with them in order to maintain a long-term goodwill. Um, and so there'll be, there'll be all those types of things, uh, most of which I think have a meaningful uh, cat, uh, numerical impact that we're aware of are in our shareholders' letter, but that won't mean that there are other ones that we're doing every single day. Okay, that's really helpful. And then I'll follow up, if I may, because that's actually a good segue uh, to the introduction in March of uh, you know free cloud versions across Jira software, Confluence, and JSD. Uh, which clearly has long-term positive benefits. You already have talked about the, the uptake in, in uh, users that have signed on to those free editions. But I guess the question is just around you know, net new uh, logos or net new paid logos, which obviously were much smaller than usual this quarter for that specific reason. And I was just wondering, because we do have a couple of things at play with the introduction of free versions and, of course, uh, the pandemic, uh, if it was possible to sort of estimate roughly how much uh, your net paid, paid ads may have been impacted by the pervasive presence of free, uh, perhaps by looking at the historical run rate of those net new customers who were paying for, for starter editions or you know, any other way that you, you might be able to, uh, to measure that perhaps. Thanks, uh, Craig. Scott, uh, we'll do Scott first, and then James can follow up. Um, look, as you know, um, as being a following lesson for a while, our new customer number bounces around a lot. It's not something that we uh, uh, guide to, or we um, you know, spend a, a lot of time on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, you know, trying to um, aim for. Um, and you know, in this quarter, we had an expected impact. Uh, we, you know, COVID had some impact in terms of, you know, with 174,000 customers, we're exposed to. Every industry on the planet, you know, every size company from large and small, and uh, you know, some of those smaller customers churned as a result of uh, COVID. Um, the other part is free, um, as we said, free's open the funnel, uh, but yeah, it also defers, you know, the time period by which people migrate and upgrade to our paid uh, instance of our products, and so that's a longer conversion cycle. Also, has some, you know, short-term headwinds against our customer numbers. So. Um, but we're really pleased about that, that, you know, free itself is at 150% increase in sign-ups, as we mentioned in our shareholder letter. So everything in that sign is uh, is really positive and, again, speaks to our, our long-term, uh, you know, in investments there. And um, as I said before, a starter license is a similar program 10 years ago, uh, you know, has paved the way for the last decade of growth. Um, Jeff, is there anything you wanted to add to that? Uh, just a, a couple of points. First, I, I note that our growth new ads of customers, so as before any consideration of churn, uh, they were uh, remaining strong uh, throughout the quarter. So we are pleased at our continuing ability uh, to bring customers into uh, our products and services for the first time. Uh, but yeah, churn obviously uh, was uh, what drove the lower net customer ad number. And uh, I just re-echo the fact that it was very much a blend between COVID-driven macroeconomic effects and uh, and the uh, uh, the broadening access to free versions of, of Jira Software Confluence and Jira Service Desk. I note on the uh, the COVID-driven impacts uh, that we saw uh, the greatest impact in April, uh, less of an impact in May, and then again less uh, in June. Uh, and so, as few 
take a step back and think about the macroeconomic impact and free, um, you know, we believe that both of these drivers will uh, ebb over time in terms of their headwinds to customer growth. Obviously, we're not trying to predict the duration of the macro environment, but at some point that will ebb. Uh, but having said that, uh, I would expect that in uh, fiscal 21, uh, the uh, the customer addition number uh, would show higher variability uh, for, for both reasons, uh, COVID-driven and free-driven, uh, as we work to uh, uh, monetize those free customers gradually. Your next question comes from Nikolai Belioff with Bank of America. Please go ahead. Hi, this is Ashley Jacqueline on for Nikolai. Um, a couple of questions. I guess the first one is for James. In the past, you've told investors to look at revenue growth instead of billings growth. Um, it seems like the growth rates have diverged even more recently. Um, can you talk about the puts and takes here? Well, thanks, Jacqueline, for the question. Uh, we do continue to believe uh, that revenue growth is the best way for investors to think about our business. Uh, when you consider that now around 90% of our total revenue uh, is recurring in nature. Um, uh, we're very comfortable that, that revenue is uh, a, a strong reflection of the underlying demand uh, for our products and services. So uh, uh, you know, one thing I'll uh, certainly note is that uh, the uh, cloud business uh, has a blend of uh, uh, subscription uh, terms. Uh, so about three-quarters of our customers uh, take monthly subscriptions uh, as uh, uh, compared to our data center and server businesses being typically annual-type terms. Uh, we note in the shareholder letter uh, to illustrate this point that uh, at the end of the fiscal year, uh, about 25% of the deferred revenue was cloud-based, uh, while a little less than 50% of the revenue was cloud-driven. Uh, so that's the only thing I would add, but we still very much uh, focus on, uh, on revenue growth as a very fair uh, measure of our progress. Your next question comes from Michael Turin with Wells Fargo Securities. Please go ahead. Hey there, thanks. Good afternoon. Um, most of the investor questions we're getting are, are around the guide and some of the color across revenue segmentation you're providing. Jane, you mentioned the magnitude of expected impacts to license and maintenance here. The, the one segment you're not explicitly mentioning there is subscription. Just wondering, is there anything additional you can provide for us in just thinking through the related subscription impacts that can just help us in thinking through the, the overall mix and, and, and offsets here going forward in our models? Uh, well, Thank you for the question. I, I would just note that we would expect the subscription revenue line to continue to grow very nicely over time, uh, both the cloud business and the data center business for those who need an on-prem solution over the medium term here. Um, a lot of opportunity in front of both of those. Uh, on the cloud side, uh, where obviously we're primarily focused, uh, we're seeing Obviously, very strong adoption in terms of those new customers coming in, 95% uh, uh, this past quarter. And we're also seeing nice building volumes of migrations, uh, and we expect that to uh, be continuing uh, in the coming years. So uh, uh, that's really the, uh, uh, the effect there. Of course, remember, we've talked about the fact that for those larger migrating customers, we will offer discounts. Uh, to smooth that pathway that I was referring to earlier. Your next question comes from Arjun Bhatia with William Blair. Please go ahead. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my question. Um, <clears throat> this one's probably for Mike or Scott. I read in the shareholder letter, you know, that seemed to be a lot of focus on server to cloud migrations. Um, I'm just curious what role you see the data center offering playing at Atlassian long-term. You know, is this a bridge skew until cloud can handle some of these larger customers, which seems to be relatively soon, or do you plan to keep it around longer term, even after uh, customers are, uh, are comfortable scaling with cloud? Yes, hi, Arjun. I can certainly take that. Look, look Data Center is a, is a critical offering for our, for our customers uh, at the moment to make sure that 
you know, the largest scale customers, uh, as you said, can uh, uh, manage their own environments, right, where they, where they uh, have a desire to or a need to. Um, there's no doubt that we're continuing to build out the cloud offerings to handle larger enterprise volumes, uh, to handle the obviously increased needs, right, uh, uh, in terms of scale, in terms of security, in terms of data locality, all sorts of uh, uh, SaaS-based needs for the largest enterprise customers. Um, <clears throat> as you can expect, the uh, the slowest customers to migrate, we, we, we think over the long term will be the largest customers, which will mean that data center offering is, you know, is important for those customers for a long time, right? It also has to be a part of their, uh, of their planning, right? As we are clear with the customers about where the best long term experience is and we help them to, to manage that migrations, at the same time, we have to be clear with them that those offerings are um, uh, are important and are part of their planning, right, both on the data center side and on the cloud enterprise side. Um, I would say that, you know, as, as part of our continued long-term uh, uh, communications, uh, we, we remain driven by customers in this, right? We do, it's worth saying, we do get a lot of requests from customers that are large to move to the cloud, right? And so it's, it's not uh, uh, one-way traffic at all. Uh, we, we tend to be very, very, very customer-driven. Um, and try to be um, you know, prudent in how we think about helping them with that, that movement over time. Your next question comes from Walter Pritchard with Citi. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks. Sorry to beat a dead horse on the, on the cloud question. I guess in the letter you talked about a 60% uptick in cloud migrations, I think, it, on the server side. Um, any, anything you can tell us around sort of how much greater you expect the migrations to be in fiscal 21 versus 20, and any color you can give us around um, types of customers' products, and I guess you've already kind of answered the question on additions, but uh, just curious, more, more color there, especially on how we should think about the magnitude of the uptick of, of migrations into the next year. Sure. Hi, Walter. Um, Look, the first thing I would say is in terms of in terms of magnitude or in terms of migrations. Um, obviously, we've continued to build out, as I mentioned before, the the, the product uh, quality and the depth and the breadth of our offerings in the cloud. So uh, one would expect that to increasingly point to larger scales of migration, right? Just as the sheer quality of the offering is um, uh, is improved. The the biggest thing that we've done in the last year is to continue to improve. Uh, our uh, migration assistance and are working with partners, both of which have had very positive impacts. Um, the Confluence Migration Assistant, for example, shipped uh, about 18 months ago, I would guess, the first version. We've had two or three versions since then as we keep improving it. Um, it now has more than 95% uh, of all Confluence migrations go through that migration assistant. So, um, as that, as those migration assistants do work, we have to keep tuning them and, and helping customers' data move through those migration assistants. That really, really helps that, that journey become less frictionful. And then it's all about our communication, the customer's planning. You know, they're going to move this quarter, next quarter, next year, whatever. That's part of their planning. Um, I mentioned the conference migration assistant because it's our, it's our um, oldest and most invested migration assistant. The Jira software uh, migration system is a lot newer, so that shipped in March, uh, and you know we continue to work on how to improve that. That's only about 50% of migrations at the moment. So as you would expect, as we improve that migration assistant and the longer it's out, we'll see more Jira software migrations in the year ahead than we have in the year behind. Um, and similarly, the Jira service desk migration assistant uh, is in, uh, I believe, is in, is in beta at the moment and will continue to roll out throughout the year. So. I think you will see increased migrations in the year ahead, uh, both through the offerings we have and then the migration assistance is continuing to improve, as well as I would call out our partner network, right? Uh, continuing to uh, improve their capabilities, their services, their experience, um, their history in migrating customers, because especially for those larger customers, we have an awesome network of partners around the world that help them uh, to manage that migration, maybe they're moving things along the way, retuning the offerings to their, their businesses. Um, so that, that's, you know, that's a human power that helps, um, but takes some time to learn and get experience in, in managing those migrations. 
Your next question comes from Itai Kidron with Oppenheimer. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks. Uh, great quarter, guys. Um, I have a few questions. First on, uh, on cloud enterprise, um, can you talk about what percent? Uh, I, I know it probably clearly doesn't apply to all of your customer base, a small subset of it, uh, but maybe you could talk about how much of your revenue uh, you think can be captured by cloud enterprise. Uh, and I'm trying to kind of gauge, uh, first of all, what percent of revenue is exposed to this do you think that can be upgraded? And also, well, is there an, uh, uh, an average um, a price increase I can think about relative to the premium tier that uh, Cloud Enterprise reflects? It's uh, Scott here. Thanks for the question. Um, and thank you back to, I guess, our, our principles, which is we want to be able to serve all of our customers in cloud. And you know, we have our free editions for the very smallest of teams. Uh, and until recently, it was just free and standard. And uh, you know, as we've looked to make sure that we can handle all those customers, we have gone to uh, you know, premium uh, and, uh, and now enterprise. Now, enterprise is still in a closed beta with customers, so we're not in a stage where we could talk to, you know, overall customer demand or, you know, specific pricing on that product. But uh, when we think about it, you know, enterprise is uh, targeted at the largest of customers that have very specific needs around data locality, performance, scale, uh, and other things that uh, where we believe we can provide a specific offering for those customers. So, I guess too, too soon to kind of answer specifically your questions, but uh, we're committed to handling all of our customers, including the very largest of customers uh, in cloud. And as I said before, um, that, uh, you know, we save a lot of money for those customers, um, you know, by handling the total cost of ownership because we can run it, uh, you know, cheaper and uh, better than they can. Your next question comes from Robert Magic with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Thanks. Can you share some feedback from the partner channel, which represents a quarter of total revenue, on how they're evolving their practices as you accelerate the shift towards cloud products? Sure, I can take that one, man. Um, look, I think any any uh, large-scale shift in our business like this is going to impact the partner channel, right? So so you, you clearly hear that in that feedback. They're used to working out how to help customers in a certain manner, and they're having to evolve uh, in helping them in a different manner. This creates opportunities and creates challenges for them, uh, uh, and you get both uh, in the feedback. For example, as I mentioned, migration services for, uh, you know, the last year or two and the next few years, will be a good source of revenue for our partners in terms of helping our customers to move. Um, not just sheerly picking up the data and running the migration assistant, which the customers can probably do themselves, but in terms of how should they think about their business, which has probably changed, in the cloud. Like, do they need to think differently? Do they need to set it up differently? Do they need to uh, uh, manage it differently uh, in, in terms of doing that? Second, um, the... Uh, Offerings like cloud enterprise and the new extensibility capabilities we have in the cloud are very exciting for partners. They create a lot more opportunities in the cloud world to manage the customer's instances, uh, manage how they do things. Again, cloud enterprise being uh, multi-instance, so you can set up uh, uh, as many JIRA instances as you want to manage your work, creates a lot more flexibility for the customer in terms of data management uh, how they want to manage projects, how they manage the content and confluence, and the partner can help them manage that to map it closer than ever before to their business to make it, it better fit. Um, so I would say as a whole, although the partners have made huge strides already in managing uh, that transition in their business, um, you know, that they continue to work with us and we continue to communicate uh, uh, very much so uh, how that's um, how that's going to change and, and work alongside them as we go in that uh, in that direction. Just just want to add something there. Um, Mike did a great job of explaining, but it sometimes gets lost how much of an asset our global partner channel is. You know, we have just a, a huge range of partners, you know, in, in tackling, you know, verticals, and those partners are also key in our marketplace, which has been a huge strength for us and, you know, creates stickiness in our product, um, and they've done a great job of building uh, those marketplace apps in our cloud, um, and of course that allows them to be more sticky. So 
Um, I'm glad you brought up the question because it, it does speak to the huge benefit we have of this global partner channel, um, and particularly where we don't have to have you know, post-sales uh, you know, or professional services people on the ground around the world, and we can leverage our partner channel to do that as a huge source of strength for us. Your next question comes from Brent Thill with Jeffries. Please go ahead. Um, hi, this is Love Soda on for Brent Thill. Um, I had a couple questions. First one uh, for Mike and Scott uh, was uh, around, you know, the R&D investment. Uh, it sounds like you guys are still going to keep the hiring speed up in fiscal 2021. Um, and, you know, this year you guys had an impressive uh, you know, you, you had the free cloud editions, you launched premium. So, like, what are sort of the feature sets that, you know, this R&D investment is going to be focused on going forward? And then the second one was around the demand pipeline. Um, so I know, James, you provided some color around, uh, you know, the demand pipeline seeing the most impact from COVID-19 in April and then improving sequentially. Um, so what what has been implied in the guidance for the first fiscal quarter that you provided? Thank you. Yeah, good day, mate. Great, great question. Um, look, I think we've obviously got the, the 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 COVID background as we've talked about, right? And and whether the recovery, you know, sort of slowly comes back like a like a marshmallow or, or snaps back quickly like a rubber band, that is, um, you know, that that that's out of our control. However, what is in control is our ability to, to continue to invest prudently and for the long term so that we can, um, you know, that we can come out of this strongly however, however that happens. Uh, in terms of where the R&D dollars are going, that, that doesn't, doesn't change, right? And it shouldn't change because of, because of COVID or any, or any background circumstances. So as we continue to say, we're trying to build an amazing platform for helping teams work across lots of different markets. Um, you see that obviously going into the cloud platform, continuing to build out enterprise capabilities there, as well as on things like free and helping uh, uh, the smallest of customers get started and, and just make their teams more efficient, right? Uh, that, that, that doesn't change. Uh, we continue to have some amazing opportunities in terms of markets ahead of us in software, in, um, in IT and connecting those two markets as well as you've seen with the Mindville acquisition uh, that we announced today, uh, as well as in the broader work management for all teams, you know, aspect. Uh, Trello continues to power along really well and we're happy with how that's going. Confluence continues to become a broader offering uh, and we continue to work on our overall platform of, of, of tying things together. So uh, just high level, we're really excited about where we're investing our R&D. Uh, we do think about that in the long term, and as Scott mentioned earlier, you know we're continuing to to invest in hiring and in, in, in acquiring the, the best talent that we can into the business, so we can we can build things for our customers. And I can just add on to the second part of your question in terms of the COVID impact uh, that we saw in Q4. Uh, I pegged that at around ten million dollars in revenue uh, in the quarter. Uh, and that was predominantly on the cloud side of our business, which you would expect uh, that's where we tend to serve our small, medium-sized business type customers. Uh, uh, we saw uh, some weakness there, uh, particularly around some of the smaller tech companies that we serve. Uh, and then, of course, uh, particular industries were uh, heavily impacted by COVID-19, and we saw uh, impacts right across the customer size spectrum within those impacted sectors. Um, so around 10 million for the quarter, that includes a subset of that 10 uh, relates to some of the help that we gave to certain of our customers. Uh, although I'll note it was a relatively small proportion, less than 2% or so of our customers uh, came to us for one form of help or another. Uh, looking to fiscal 21, uh, we're uh, assuming uh, again, we're obviously not trying to take a call on, on the macro or on uh, uh, the timing of uh, the trajectory of COVID, but we're assuming that there would be effects uh, uh, throughout fiscal 21. Uh, so net-net, it would be a bigger effect in fiscal 21 uh, than what we've seen to date. Your next question comes from Pat Walravens with JMP Securities. Please go ahead. 
Thank you so much. This is Joey on for Pat. Uh, just two quick ones from me. First, how are you thinking about M&A going forward? And then maybe on the COVID impact, uh, can you maybe touch on what you saw in July and how that compared to June? Thank you so much. Scott here. I'll take the M&A question. James can take the COVID impact one. The Look, I mean, M&A hasn't changed for us. Um, we've always viewed um, M&A as one of the areas that we are great at, along with building and developing new products, along with our marketplace of third-party apps that we provide to our customers. It's sort of, I guess, uh, one arrow in our quiver that we can deploy, and uh, nothing's changed. We believe that the most important thing uh, companies need to have that we're interested in looking at is that they uh, align with our mission, uh, that they, uh, you know, are around unleashing the potential of every team. And, uh, you know, then it's culture fit and, and other areas. So we're really proud about M&A. Um, and we've always been prudent stewards of capital, and uh, that, that hasn't changed through COVID. Um, like always, if there's opportunities to buy things um, at a reasonable price that makes sense um, and add to our product portfolio in areas that we're already looking at, um, we will do that. Um, I will say that the... The valuations haven't come down as much as many people expected um, during this time, um, and you know we're in no rush to sort of go and deploy capital in, in areas where we don't believe we can get a, a great return. James? Uh, yeah, I just add uh, that we've been discussing how the uh, the challenging impacts of COVID lessened as Q4 progressed. Uh, I would just observe that in July so far. Uh, we've seen a, a continuation of that theme, but I really would want to emphasize it's early in the quarter, and I, I'd be uh, not looking to, to draw too many conclusions here. Obviously, the uh, uh, the macro factors uh, are really hard to predict, and, and we've seen uh, economic openings in certain geographies followed by uh, less or more restrictive uh, economic conditions. So, uh, that's what we've seen so far, but I, I, I would be very cautious about uh, uh, going too far with that. Your next question comes from Derek Wood with Cohen. Please go ahead. Thanks for taking my question. Um, I wanted to ask about business outside of SMB, outside of distressed verticals, and maybe looking at your more stable verticals and your more enterprise-type customers. And I'm curious, you know, given the – the impact from um, kind of worker displacement and, and supporting hybrid work enablement. What you're seeing from an, a, a, a demand perspective, uh, you, you could argue maybe you know investments in collaboration and workflow would um, would, would rise, but you could also argue um, you know companies still are very much in, in tactical mode. So would 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 like to hear how you're seeing conditions and you know better performing verticals. I, I can uh, start on, on that one, uh, and then Scott might perhaps you want to jump in, but uh, we feel as though we are very much in, in the, the, the center of important transformations. Digital transformation is only being accelerated by the macroeconomic developments that have played out in recent months, and uh, we feel that our products and services fit that need for where our customers are going. And I uh, would just also add uh, how we were very pleased up at the uh, larger enterprise end of our customer base as to the uh, uh, large spending statistics uh, that we, we published. We've traditionally published uh, uh, numbers for customers spending more than $50,000 and $500,000 with us, uh, and those customer accounts grew by 44% and 56% year over year. Uh, and then a new statistic for us as we continue to scale is uh, the number of customers uh, spending more than a million dollars with us. Uh, and so we were delighted uh, with uh, that number increasing by 76% year over year. So I think illustrative of uh, uh, the breadth of what we have to offer, the relevance of what we have to offer, uh, I'll leave it at that. Your next question comes from Rishi Jaluria with DA Davidson. Please go ahead. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for taking my questions. Uh, just two, two quick ones. Uh, first, diving a little bit more in, in, into the churn discussion, 
Um, you mentioned in the past that your your retention rates uh, are, are about 98% for those customers spending over 5K. Has that been consistent, uh, you know, during COVID, or has there been changes with, with you know, again, the customers who have larger bills versus just a, a total customer uh, as a whole, count as a whole? And then um, on, on a cloud revenue side, in, in the shoulder letter, uh, you said slightly less than half of revenue is cloud. To be clear, that's just the actual cloud revenue. That's not including marketplace, correct? Because then that's telling us that about 80% of that subscription bucket would be, you know, actual cloud, which is definitely a lot higher than I expected. But just wanted to get a sense. Is that directionally the right way to think about that? Thanks. So in terms of the, uh, uh, the last part of your question, uh, the uh, cloud commentary, uh, you know, obviously directional rather than terribly specific. Uh, recall, obviously, that the marketplace uh, has been growing nicely for us on the cloud, but traditionally the marketplace has grown up uh, around server and then data center apps were uh, uh, growing very nicely in the last year and a half or so. Uh, so we expect more growth. Then the other element of your question, if you want to come back to that. Your next question comes from Ari Terjanian, the Cleveland Research. Please go ahead. Thanks for taking the question. Um, appreciate it. Uh, one to follow on on the large deals um, or growing uh, customers uh, spending more than a million. Could you give an update on you know, what's, what's driving that, any update on Jira Align? And, you know, as you look into FY21, um, you know, with Cameron as Chief Revenue Officer, any any changes to go-to-market strategy you're contemplating with your own uh, direct sales force or with partners? Thank you. Thanks. Uh, there's nothing changed to our go-to-market strategy, uh, you know, over the over the long term, we don't expect it to have any U-turns in the, in the near term either. Um, our go-to-market strategy has always been land customers bottoms up uh, and where they need help, uh, assistance, uh, you know, we provide that for them. Um, you know, over time, as the deal sizes get larger, um, you know, their engagement with us, uh, you know, they, they want a, a sort of person to talk to. Um, but that engagement um, is almost always uh, after they're already a long-term customer of Atlassian and they're looking to expand either to a you know, mission critical data center uh, instance or Jira line for, you know, reporting up into the C-suite. Um, I've spent a, a lot of time with customers recently, um, you know, with, that are engaging with our Jira line product. And what we're seeing there is that digital transformation is a CEO level um, and board level concern amongst many of our customers. And they are, you know, still very early in um, the digital transformation roadmaps. Um, you know, they may have engineering teams, but they've um, been working in a waterfall fashion. Uh, they're not moving fast enough to keep up with uh, today's demands, and so they're looking to vendors like ourselves uh, to help them, uh, you know, unify all their dev teams uh, from the moment they come up with an idea all the way through to launch and maintaining and running it, and so that involves our entire product suite. Um, and, you know, as they look to do that at large scale, they need uh, products like uh, Jira Align to manage uh, their portfolio of, you know, often thousands, if not tens of thousands of developers they have uh, building products for them. So, um, in short, no no changes to our uh, go-to-market, um, you know, and uh, we, we see, again, all of our product portfolio playing out as we expected, which is we are the only vendor that can handle both end-to-end -end and the scale that our customers are, are operating at. Uh, hey, I just wanted to circle back. I think uh, I think we we missed the first part of Rishi's question. We we, we moved on to the next question a little quickly, but it, it does dovetail nicely into uh, what Scott was talking about with the go to market uh, um, evolution and how we continue to uh, uh, look in the long term at uh, at improving our model. Um, Rishi asked uh, about the retention rate for customers north of fifty thousand dollars. Um, and I just wanted to say it's, it's been holding steady 
through through the COVID challenges. So so um, continued retention among the large customers we, we're happy with um, as we continue to be a, a mission critical part of their infrastructure of their uh, how they run their companies. As you'd expect, that that retention rate is is holding well. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. And your next question comes from Jack Andrews with Needham. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. Um, during the quarter, you announced a, a variety of integrations between some of your products and third-party uh, DevOps tools. And so just philosophically speaking, I mean, how much do you think of the DevOps lifecycle that you're interested in addressing directly versus uh, partnering with, with other third parties? Scott here, I appreciate the question, Jack. Um, if, if I look at, uh, you know, chat with customers and explain what we do, there's a, a lot of, um, if you think about the, the broad market, um, there is plan and manage, you know, kind of how, what are we going to get done across uh, our organization. And in that space, you know, Jira and our, you know, Jira One and other products are totally ubiquitous there. Uh, you then have uh, what, you know, kind of uh, writing code, testing code, deploying code, uh, and in that space, there are thousands of different vendors and uh, different um, startups happening every single day. And Atlassian plays a really important part there with uh, with our coding tools, um, with our deployment tools, uh, and, and so forth. But there are um, our commitment to our customers in that space is that we will integrate with everything in that space. And everything in that space, because of our market presence and our customer base, they are incentivized to integrate with us. And so. Our brand, our brand promise in that space is, um, you know, we have things for you and we have some of the most important pieces in that space, but um, I think it's silly to, for any vendor to promise to be all things to all people in that space given how quickly technology changes and how people write code evolves over time. Um, and then at the other, sort of the very end of that when we say, okay, I want to manage, run and support uh, these products, um, that's where we've increasingly been uh, spending time with all of our ITSM investments, with Jira Service Desk, with Opportunity that alerts people, uh, you know, when you have uh, issues, and so um, in that area, you know, we're still in the stage where every time we add a feature, we we gain more market share there. Um, you know, it's still very early, um, but what customers look to us across all of this is that they want um, effectively a single pane of glass that tells them where are they spending time, you know, how are they managing these huge amounts of people um, that are involved in uh, digital transformation, whether they're writing code or they're designing user interfaces or their, you know, frontline support people, you know, when the products go down in the middle of the night, they want something that coordinates all that work and we're the only vendor that can do that end to end. Um, and so, you know, being the integrations we announced in DevOps were, you know, part to that, like, you know, effectively demonstrating again, like no other vendor can do that we are that single pane of glass, no matter what you use at a sort of detailed level, DevOps, whether you use our products or you use a third party, um, at last, the only vendor that can sort of go up to the C-suites and then down to the people writing code uh, in the trenches. Jack, I just wanted to, to add one thing there. Um, you know, Scott and I have always believed it's incredibly important to communicate our philosophies of how we think about the world as much as the, the actions we're taking on a quarter-to-quarter -quarter basis. I hope you can see that in our in our shareholder letters um, we're, you know, we're a long-term thinking people. We've built a long-term thinking business, and we believe that the, the shareholder letter, as much as anything else, is, is about philosophy of how we think about the world. I think you can see over the last almost 20 years now, and you will see continuing on, we're extremely pro-interoperability. So you asked about um, integrations and how that, that works. While we obviously make sure our own applications work incredibly well together, we are... Um, we think it's incredibly important as software continues to evolve that interoperability between uh, the best of breed uh, vendors, between all vendors that customers show up with is incredibly important. Um, you, you've seen that in our partnerships continue to evolve with Slack and with Zoom and with Dropbox, all of which I, I believe we've had announcements with in this quarter uh, and continue to work well with the thousands of different integrations that we have. This also plays well into our cloud journey because integration and interoperability in the cloud is even easier than it was on, uh, in the on-premise world because of the, the standardized endpoints. Uh, no one has to upgrade their, their, their software. It's all running on the latest versions. 
So uh, we think that's going to be an increasingly important part of our story, as Scott mentioned, in, in the uh, development and IT areas, but increasingly in work management for all in every area. Um, and I think that's a really good philosophical stance for us to have and only increasing as a strength of ours going forward. There are no further questions at this time. I'll turn the call back to Mike for closing remarks. Just wanted to say thanks, everyone, for joining on the call today. Uh, appreciate all the time uh, and thoughts and your ongoing support as, uh, as investors and as shareholders and stakeholders in our business. I hope you and your loved ones are, are safe uh, and stay safe throughout the quarter, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you uh, shortly. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for joining. You may now disconnect.